Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where books and writing topics are center stage and where authors give voice to the written words. Charlotte Readers Podcast Beyond 300 is about you, the listener. We want your feedback, opinions, recommendations, and questions. Email us or leave us a voice message and you might hear us mention you or play your message on the podcast. Just go to the homepage or contact page at charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the links to email us or leave a voice message. It's easy to do. Let's have some fun together. For all things Charlotte Readers Podcast, check out charlottereaderspodcast.com. You can find a list of all episodes, an alphabetical guest list with links, detailed show notes for each episode, a community blog, and more. We'd love to have you visit. You can subscribe to Charlotte Readers Podcast wherever you'd like to get your podcasts. We're on all major podcast platforms. And the best part is, it's free. I'm Landis Wade, and on behalf of my co-host, Hannah LaRue and Sarah Archer, we thank you for listening. The Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network. Listen to your city at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hey, readers and writers, this is episode 320 of Charlotte Readers Podcast, Beyond 300. Uh, I'm here with uh, co-host Sarah Archer, uh, who's who we have been trying to survive for the last three months without uh, Hannah LaRue. But, uh, hey, we've got some excitement here today. <laughs> Coming back from attorney leave, wow. the one and only wow. <laughs> Hannah LaRue. <laughs> Oh my gosh, what a what a welcome back. back. I love the sound effects. <laughs> back in style. <laughs> yeah, I feel so cool. Yeah, I like that. I finally found the, the <laughs> mixing board. Hey, hey, great to have you back. Oh, I feel cooler than I have in a couple of months, so thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> what, you mean maternity, taking care of kids is not yeah, all I've dancing like, and bar hopping and things like bar that? Bar hopping, yeah, well, so, yeah, milk bar hopping. I feel like there's like a thin layer of milk or like bit up over all over my entire house so there's that but <laughs> i'm rocking it <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if y'all if y'all have seen four christmases uh with vince vaughn and reese witherspoon but there's a couple of scenes like that where the baby just projectile vomits on uh you know you've probably seen some of that yeah. but uh, vince vaughn couldn't handle it so take 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 yourself out of the room you know? yeah you know <laughs> i can't handle this. <laughs> a lot of projectile <laughs> vomiting but it's it's a when it's your baby it's okay you're like oh i'm so sorry yeah, yeah. you feel so bad and you're doing this yeah. right now and yeah, she's just chilling yeah. <laughs> she's like yeah here you go mom. Well, i'm sorry <laughs> listeners to start out the episode with uh you know projectile vomiting but uh, please bear with <laughs> us you know uh it's it's so great to have hannah back we're going to talk about anything right so uh Hannah, uh, you have been missed. Uh, we've uh, struggled along in your absence, but uh, hey, you've got a three-month-old now, yeah, right? Yeah, she's almost three months old. I guess it'll be this upcoming week, the 19th, so it's been kind of a a blur, I feel like. It's like the days are kind of long, but the time goes by so fast. Like now, I can't believe it's been three months since she was born, um, but it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun. I mean, like, I love it. I It's, it's different for sure than pre baby but I feel like it adds to my life so much I mean she's just the best and I feel like now it's like I look at my camera phone like my role my camera roll and it's just like the same photo of her over and over again I'm like look you're so smart like you're just sitting there you know like you're you're, you sit so well well you know full disclosure you've got full disclosure you've got uh you know I think you're Somebody's over there taking care of Gwen while you're doing this yeah. recording. You're not completely off maternity leave yet, mm-hmm. but you will be, and you'll be starting back with us in the new year. Yeah. And are you looking forward to, 
you know, being back in the mix of uh, things with publicity and podcasting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, today it was it was nice. I knew we were doing we were doing the recording today, so I kind of made it like a, a working day a little bit just to kind of get back into like catching up on different things. I've been checking my email periodically and just sort of like, you know, I am sort of a I'm a one woman show for my business, so I, I couldn't really <laughs> necessarily be like leave me alone for this entire time. So I have been kind of texting <laughs> with folks, but I mean, you know, I want to know what's going on anyway. I'm kind of like that. So it's been, um, I feel like I've been able to sort of keep my foot in a little bit, um, while still spending time with her and everything, but it was nice today to kind of get back into a, a, a groove a little bit, just sort of remembering what it's like to sit at a desk and write a little bit, bit and just, uh, see what's going on. So I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, for me, like I love what I do and I love, um, kind of, being able to do all of this with you guys and so I'm excited to kind of get back to back to that during the daytime I'll, I'll miss her a lot too but it'll it'll be good <laughs> uh, we can't wait for you to come oh. back and take over social media <laughs> we've been stumbling along in your absence yeah and, and also and also marketing <laughs> and everything that goes along with that we decided yeah, we that's going to that be expertise. your <laughs> yeah that's going to be your lane you know we figured out how we can do some other things to take off your plate but we'll put you in that lane going right, forward cool. yeah so. <laughs> Uh, Sounds good to me. But uh, yeah, so great to have you back. Let's uh, we've got a great interview episode here. Uh, we're going to do a lot today. Let's uh, let's kick it off, Sarah and Hannah, and let's tell them what we're going to do today. Yeah, so we've got a great lineup for this episode. Um, we're going to have some uplifting conversations about your writing New Year reflections and much more. And we're going to have a blog post discussion about a post that I wrote called "Why Is Imposter Syndrome So Common Among Writers and How to Beat It," which should be pretty fun to talk about. And next, we have a two-minute tip from Charlotte Lit by Paul Reale, Um And the title is going to be Learning to Write Scenes. Yeah, and in, uh, in the vein of talking about things that we wrote ourselves, we're going to have a blog post I wrote titled Coming to Terms with Reality. The universe doesn't care about your book as much as you do, and that's okay. And I can't wait to dive into that. I can't wait to get into that one, too. That's a fun one. (laughs) And then we're also today going to finish up with our reading recommendations, um, including some of our favorite books from 2022, our reflections on this year, and what's coming up in our next episode for the new year, which is, yes, 2023 already, (laughs) which is crazy. Sounds like the future still. Yeah, I guess it is the future still, but near future. It is hard to believe. And uh, one of the things we did do um, in your absence, Hannah, you may may scroll social media every now and then. We've been asking listeners to uh, share with us their writing and reading aspirations. We had a little fun debate with Paul Reale at Charlotte Lit about whether you should make New Year's resolutions or not. And so we we kind of tamped that down a little bit. We're going to call them aspirations and not resolutions. We don't want to make people feel bad about failing in the first week, you know, when they <laughs> when they make those resolutions. So it's going to be an aspiration, kind of like, uh, you know, what was that uh, – movie Pirates of the Caribbean that we're just, just kind of got guidelines, you know, okay. so we're going to make them guidelines. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, and I think, Sarah, you've been collecting some reading and writing aspirations from the community. We're going to throw those in here first before we uh, put ourselves on the spot. Yeah, yeah, we've gotten some great feedback from um, listeners on social media about their aspirations. We also pulled out a quote from Kathy Izzard from a past episode, which was kind of relevant to this. Um, She said, I pick a word of the year instead of a resolution because you can't fail a word. Take the word create. You can't fail at creating, right? There's no one, there's no word count associated with that. So I think that's a good kind of minor. (laughs) You can't fail a word, you know. Yeah, Uh, yeah. You're not saying I'm going to there's so many words a day. I'm just going to create. It might be one word. It might be no words, but 
I'm going to create something. And Hannah, you've been creating for the last three months, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In some capacity. <laughs> In some capacity, exactly. Yeah, creating a new a new space yes, for that new baby. Exactly. Always. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a great thought to focus on just creating instead of setting necessarily specific goals for yourself every day. But we did have some great feedback, too, um, on social media from some listeners about their resolutions slash aspirations. Um Diganji, author, I might be mispronouncing that, said to finish my sequel to The Gift Best Given. Yeah, Taylor Ed, P- Ed, Ed Diganji, he was on the podcast before. Yep. Oh, okay, cool. Um, Taylor P. Starn said my overall reading goal is probably going to be 75 to 80 books for the year. That's ambitious. Wow. <laughs> and I want to read at least one classic per month. Love that. Um, Delphine McClelland, who we had on the show a few months ago, said writing to finish book two and get into production and reading. The list is too long and I'll be adding more books to my reading next pile of physical books in the ever growing ebook list. Oh, we got to stop there because Hannah, you, you're a voracious reader. You were before you had a baby. Yeah. What now? <laughs> I think I had that in my, my plans to talk about today. Just like one of my goals for the new year is just trying to figure out how to be that still, but also like be, you know, the parent of a newborn or a very little baby. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely harder now. It's definitely harder. Um, I need to get yeah. back, get into the audiobooks, that kind of thing. But it's just been such a blur of like trying to figure all this out so far. So I have to be honest, I have not read a book since before she was born. <laughs> I've not listened to a book. Oh I have not. <laughs> yeah. So that's just me yeah. keeping it real. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I'll figure it out though. <laughs> Well, you probably get only one or two pages and then they're screaming or need something or whatever. Always hungry, yeah. it seems like. That's, that is, which Always I can hungry. relate to that, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, she gets it from Simon, you. <laughs> you know, I talk about Simon, the grandson, a lot, and uh, he's figured out how to find in the refrigerator exactly where the Baby Bell cheese is located because he can dig down under everything else. Ooh. Pull out that little net with the baby bell cheese to find exactly what he needs. That cheese is so good. <laughs> so, I love that. It, <laughs> Excellent yeah, choice. Yeah. Simon's a big fan. He could do an endorsement for that. <laughs> yes. All right. All right, Sarah, keep us going, Sarah. Uh, yeah. So um, Pascal Doxy Art says, looking forward on publishing my first historical novel in English. Vanessa Riley, author, says, Queen of Exiles, my third historical fiction, Murder in Drury Lane, my second historical mystery. So it sounds like she's working on those. Um, the Evelyn Puerto says, I hope to launch my fifth novel. Uh, BT Mitchell 78, who's Brian Mitchell, says, I plan to read more clean fantasy and science fiction from authors who are part of Realm Makers. And Malika J. Steveley, author, says, I'll be launching my second novel. Um, and then Sarah Johnson Wright says, finish f- book five in the Alexa Glock Forensics Mysteries and read more. So a lot of good reading and writing in there. Um, I, I'm excited to see some of those books come out into the world. Yeah, um, lots of uh, good opportunities there. Sarah has been on the podcast before, too, with her Alexa Glock series set down under um, New Zealand. A lot of fun. Uh, the main protagonist, Alexa you know, a lot of Alexa jokes there, but uh, uh, good mysteries as well. Yeah, I love Sarah. Uh-oh, I just triggered my Alexa over here when oh we're recording. Gosh. I don't know if y'all oh, no. heard that. <laughs> She's, <laughs> She's listening. Like, Hush, Alexa. Down, Alexa, stop. I okay, have one in my I space stop. as well, so I'm just going to not say that name. Yeah, we <laughs> right can't now. say that. I, I can't I can't say I had to, when I interviewed her, I had to shut off that thing over there so it wouldn't uh, recognize uh, that particular word. Um, wow. 
All right, we're gonna uh, we're gonna jump into some of our writing and reading aspirations before we get into our first writing discussion today. Um, I don't guess we won't put Hannah on the spot first, uh, Sarah. We'll put you on the spot first. Okay, sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. So, uh, in terms of like my kind of goals for reading and writing for the new year, um, I have a couple of different screen project screenwriting projects I've been working on. One is a feature I'm developing with a studio, which I'm gonna hope to continue to push that forward it's not entirely in my hands because there are other people involved um, but hoping that that's going to go somewhere and I'll do my part on that and then I have a new um, screenplay that I'm in the very very early stages on just starting to research it, it's a historical piece so there's a lot of a lot of reading I have to do first um, but I'm getting into that and so I'm, I'm hoping that I'll have at least a draft of that done by the end of the year um, I've also been really enjoying over the past year or so writing short stories, which is something I hadn't done for years. I've just kind of gotten back into it, but it's been really a creatively good exercise for me, I think. Um, and I just got a story. I've started to send some of those out and I just got a story accepted into a magazine. So I'm going to try to keep finding time to write some short uh, stories here and there and submitting those. And I think reading more too. I feel like I read a lot, but <laughs> a lot of it is either books for the podcast or books where um, I'm reading for people in my critique groups or other writers I know to get them knows, all of which is great and I love, but I want to make some time to read just books that I choose to read too. Mm. Um, so just, you know, balancing all of that. So now I just need time to do it all in. <laughs> That's always a struggle, right? Yeah. I'll go next, but I love how you didn't say, well, I'm going to submit eight stories and publish 12. Oh, I, I, and, that's yeah. too much pressure. So, that's too much pressure. <laughs> I can't not do gonna, that. <laughs> not going to go that. Yeah. All right. Well, let me tell you a little about my aspirations, um, which I've gotten a little bit of a jump start on, but uh, one is to uh, publish a series of uh, eight nonfiction books next year. Uh, they will all be about the podcast. Sarah knows about this. I'll be bringing Hannah up to date on this too, because uh, hopefully they're both going to be helping with this effort, but it's going to involve, um, quotes that I've been pulling from over 350 authors on the show uh, in the first four years. Um, we're going to divide them into categories. We're going to put them out once a month, uh, beginning in about March. Uh, we'll use it to talk about on the podcast, and uh, we'll make it so inexpensive that you just can't help yourself when it comes to uh, picking these things up. And and you know what? You're going to be uh, you're going to be inspired. It's going to be fun. There's, there's, I had a good time going back through there and just uh, – learning uh, a lot because you know you can't remember everything that uh, people tell you on the podcast so it's good to have a, a little record so this will be fun we're gonna put them out in ebooks first maybe after the project is uh in with eight months of these we'll uh go back and make it a a print book but uh, that's the plan that's one of the main goals the second is i am going to finish and publish that podcast murders book with sarah we've started the idea we hadn't told hannah about yeah, this yet either this? but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Hannah, it's it's called the podcast murders. We've written about three chapters, and uh, we're going to have you weigh in as well if when you get back into things, because uh, these two podcasters find out that uh, early on that uh, the next uh, three authors they interview for this big event they're going to have, one of them is uh, planning to kill them, and wow. uh, so they've got to solve the mystery just in the nick of time. But it's kind of mm -hmm. campy. It's a little bit. Uh, we're using some literary tropes to have fun with it. Uh, so, oh, I love that. That'll be fun. We're, we're experimenting because, uh, you know, we have Bobby Nash on the show. He did that one-hour read thing, and we were thinking, uh, let's write a one-hour read and collaborate, and then we'll talk about how that works. And uh, so that'll be something we can talk about later if we ever get it done. We are going to get it done. We will get we're it gonna done. We're going to get it done. Yeah. 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 Got this. It's very juicy so far. Just yeah, so far. Yeah, a little, a little bit salacious in places, too. We're gonna have to, you know, so. Wow, I can't wait to read this. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, and to borrow from Kathy Edge's idea uh, and pick a few words, uh, I'm just going to use the words engage, learn, and enjoy. Uh, I want to engage creatively. And, you know, I've been working. I told Sarah, and Hannah will see this when she gets back in, that uh, I'm, old lawyer tricks don't die easily. I've been trying to uh, come up with efficient ways for us to, uh, you know, do the podcast going forward and uh, learn more about different things like online ads and publishing tricks and uh like sarah i want to enjoy reading and uh writing and collaborating you know trying some different things that maybe we can fail at and learn from <laughs> and, and and get better at so that's kind of some aspirations for me uh hannah <laughs> have at it <laughs> you know i'm probably you, you made it easy on me put me last because i can just be like yeah same you know all of those things same to me. <laughs> uh, but no kind exactly. of actually yes same um i think i you know i definitely want to like i was saying earlier get back into reading again i love to read and just making sure i can still kind of do that for pleasure so um definitely that um and then just hopping back into the some books i have to read for the podcast and that kind of thing i'm looking forward to that um and i really want to get back into writing essays and nonfiction. that's kind of my thing and even just for my own enjoyment if i'm not submitting or anything like that i think it realistically speaking it'll probably be a second before i'm able to do any of that again just kind of easing back into the work world and being a new mom and that kind of thing but um so definitely those two things and uh i'd like to I'll be getting back into the blogging and I've, I did a great job, I think last year of kind of getting into the routine of doing one blog a month. Um, but I'd, I'd really like to kind of do more review writing. That's something I enjoyed in the past. Um, so writing book reviews or TV show reviews, stuff like that, but also having kind of a PR component to it. So I think those are my, we'll, we'll see how long it takes for me to kind of get to the point where I feel like I'm making big moves on those, but <laughs> I think mm -hmm. that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's great. Well, maybe, Sarah, we can get in line to get on her list to review the podcast murders when the oh, time yeah. comes. You know, oh, so. yeah. Oh, yeah. Do that. You'll have to be brutally <laughs> honest with us. <laughs> That's right. I'm sure it'll exactly. be great. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I get it. And, and we'll we'll help you along the way there uh, and ease you back in uh, so you don't just have to jump back in right away with everything. We got a little plan for that. We'll talk about that offline. But, hey, let's um, – speaking of Libro, who mentioned it earlier in audiobooks – Quick word from them, then we're going to jump into our first uh, writing discussion, uh, the, the two uplifting ones we're having today. Actually, they start out kind of depressing, but then they get better as they go. So anyway, <laughs> Libro first. We have an affiliation with Libro.fm because you can get audiobooks from them, and when you do, you support independent bookstores. If you'd like to sign up with them for your audiobooks, use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER and claim your free audiobook. All right. Well, uh, we're back. Uh, Act one, the writing discussion. Uh, the name of the author of this post, uh, none other than Sarah Archer. And mm -hmm. uh, the title of the post is Why? Yeah, how about that? <laughs> Why is imposter syndrome so common among writers and how to beat it? And we thought it'd be fun if we, uh, Sarah and I recorded these and we're going to play two segments of each. The first one is going to be the segment that kind of identifies the problem. Uh, then the three of us will talk about that a little bit, and then Sarah will solve the problem for us, and then we'll clap and everything and move on to the next one, right? <laughs> <laughs> but keep in mind that both these blog posts, uh, you'll find Sarah's blog post uh, on her website, on her blog. Uh, that's uh, at saraharcherwrites.com. Um, so you don't have to take notes. You can just listen. But if you want to go back and read what she's written and pull some of it off and tape it to your wall, you can do that too. Um, let's start out 
with uh, Sarah's. Unless, Sarah, you want to say anything else to set it up before we play the first part of the audio? No, I don't think so. I think the title kind of tells you what it's about, and we can jump in. All right. Well, let's hear Let's hear from Sarah uh, on uh, why is imposter syndrome so common among writers? And the part about how to beat it, we'll come back to that. There are a lot of voices in my head when I write. There are the voices of the characters I'm creating and the characters I want to create for a future project, but who won't stop bugging me while I'm in the middle of the current one. There are characters I wrote in the past who are like, hey, remember that thing you wrote about me that's already in print? Here's how it could have been better. And characters who might actually be repressed parts of my psyche, but let's not think about that right now. And the caffeine addict part of my brain telling me that really all of this will be so much easier with coffee. There's also the voice of my internal critic. She likes to pipe in while I'm writing, giving an, are you sure about that? Or, you know this is never going to be as good as how you first envisioned it. Or, hey, did you know that Mary Shelley was 19 when she wrote Frankenstein? When I have any sort of failure as a writer, she's there to say, I told you so. And when I have any success, she's ready to ask, really, you? That question persists throughout my writing career. Winning a contest, signing with an agent, selling a book or script, getting hired to speak or teach. Really? Me? I am certainly not the first writer to have felt imposter syndrome, which is the fear that one is unqualified for his or her own work. In fact, I hear other writers voice these doubts all the time. So why? What makes us so prone to questioning our abilities, and what can we do about it? So first I want to talk about some possible root causes for imposter syndrome. The first one is that the subjectivity of the work we do as writers is major imposter syndrome fuel. There's no such thing as a true, indisputable standard of merit for any creative work. What's good to one person, funny, touching, smart, relatable, thrilling, beautiful, may fall entirely flat to another. As of the time that I wrote this post, The Great Gatsby, hey, did you know that F. Scott Fitzgerald was 28 when he wrote The Great Gatsby, which is one of the most successful, widely revered novels of all time, has over 130,000 one-star reviews on Goodreads. And as tricky as it is to judge the quality of someone else's artistic work, how much harder is it to judge your own, which you can face with even less objectivity? There's also a financial factor. Most writers don't write for the money. If making money is your goal, perhaps a major in non-English, anything other than English, is the choice for you. But many writers want to write full-time, and conventionally, career success is tightly linked to income, which honestly would put most writers at the very bottom of the success ladder. It's quite difficult to make a living as a writer, let alone to get rich that way. Even professional writers do many, many hours of work for free. So if your time isn't worth anything to anyone else in a clear, measurable way, it's easy to question whether your work is worth anything at all. How can you assign value to your own writing? When people have asked me what the best part was of the experience of publishing my first novel, I've often mentioned the day when it, I found out that it had sold. And I know it feels crass to frame a personal artistic effort in monetary terms, but when there's so little in the way of certainty for a writer, having someone invest money in your writing for no incentive other than them thinking that your work is good enough to create a profit is the closest I've come to true objective validation that I might be doing something right. But I write things all the time that don't sell or that I'm not even attempting to sell. I've also found there's a pretty shaky correlation between the likelihood of a piece of my writing selling and how happy I am with it creatively or how positive the reactions to it from fellow writers are. Speaking of those reactions, rejections, negative feedback, and poor reviews are mainstays of most writers' paths. Whisper rejection, and writers will pop up like gophers and tell you their stories. We all have them. Even The Great Gatsby didn't sell that well when it first came out. If you happen to be a writer whose internal critic voice is missing or goes soft, just put your writing out there. There will almost certainly be plenty of people ready to give that critical voice a volume boost. 
Since writers also spent a good deal of time promoting their work, anyone in the writing community is frequently exposed to the successes of other writers. Anytime you go on social media, you may find authors celebrating their recent wins. If you set foot in a bookstore or library, you'll see glowing blurbs on the cover of every book. Most of us aren't out there sharing every rejection letter or talking about the times where we spent 10 minutes staring at the computer screen and just wrote text here. Or is that just me? <laughs> when you hear disproportionately about the successes of other writers, it can be hard to not feel like a failure. I find that this constant self-promotion creates a paradox. Writers must market their work aggressively, yet many wonder privately if their work is even any good. When I began my career as a screenwriter, I learned that most successful writers in Hollywood are also good salespeople. They know how to pitch their ideas and themselves with confidence and style. Since their projects often kick off at the conceptual stage, without a full script that they can hand off to read, they must sell executives on the magic and profitability of their ideas alone. For fiction and nonfiction authors, the marketing comes at the other end of the process after the writing. At publication, authors become the brand of their books and most have to market relentlessly to drive sales. But how are you supposed to sell others on the merit of your writing if you're not so sure of it yourself? Good question. How are you supposed to sell others on the merit of your writing if you're not so sure of yourself? Well, you hire somebody like Hannah <laughs> who's got so much enthusiasm, she'll convince you you're good even if you're not right, Hannah? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. My job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's Hannah's job. So, uh, no, this is great. So we've identified the, the problem a little bit. We're kind of like the start of a novel. We're putting the hero on, the, on their heels to start out with, with this idea here of uh, the uh, – you know, internal critic and imposter syndrome and all this kind of thing. So we'll, uh, Hannah and I will take a shot at it and then we'll circle back to you, Sarah. So Hannah, some of your thoughts. I mean, I think I love this post. I missed your voice so much. It's like, I was like, oh. wow, Sarah's voice. I love this. Thank you. <laughs> I hate listening to so myself good. talk. That was painful for me. But I know. I hate doing <laughs> that for myself too. Um, and I also had no idea that Scott F. Scott Fitzgerald was 28 when he wrote The Great Gatsby, so that's interesting. Um, but no, I think like I, I really, not that I enjoy talking about imposter syndrome, but I think it's something that we all experience a lot of. And I think when it comes to creative work, so writing, it's such a personal thing. Um, you know, it's it's really like your inner critic is so loud at, this, at the point when you're trying to put your work out there and sell it um it's it's crazy so i mean i think this is a really i connected with a lot of this um i mean i've felt like that with publicity too it's it's like sometimes you're just like why is nothing i'm doing like is this is it me like what am i i shouldn't be doing this and that kind of thing and i feel like when you're talking about like how to solve that for yourself it's kind of like becoming your own therapist in a way where it's just like i mean you have all these inner voices talking to you and saying you shouldn't be doing this you shouldn't be doing this and something i've done too to help kind of combat that for myself is literally writing out a list of everything i've done for like this is for pr mostly where i'm just like okay i feel like i'm not it's I'm telling myself I'm bad at this or I'm not landing in the right place or whatever, but writing out, I've done this, 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 <laughs> and all of these things. I'm doing the best that I can. Um, and that is what it is. Or when it's writing, it's kind of like, how do I, you know, what have I tried for this story or how have I approached this essay or, um, you know, how long did I spend on this part of the p puzzle, you know, that kind of thing, and just sort of like putting it in writing, which I feel like is kind of an interesting thing in this specific conversation, because talking about writing, it's like, well, I'm writing now I'm writing about my writing, but <laughs> I do feel like that kind of helps me see it. I think if I can visualize what's going on, um, that always really helps me a lot. 
Um, but you know, it's, it's hard. I think like, and I guess for me, I always talk out, I talk to myself all the time too. So I'll, I'll talk to myself and be like, all right, I just did this and on like that kind of thing as well. Just <laughs> talking about the voices in your head, just making that, if you can hear it out loud, sometimes have that conversation with yourself. It kind of sounds a little crazy, but I think I always come out of it feeling a little bit better, but it's, it's a tough thing. I think I always wonder, I'm like, oh, is it something that's just going to go? Is there going to be a time in my life where I don't have that, the imposter syndrome? Like, I don't know if it's something that just evolves or changes or, you know, what it what it is. But it's um, it's tough. It's definitely not a, a fun thing to deal with <laughs> at all. <laughs> well, I, I love uh, your idea of a gratitude journal. I've heard about this before, that, uh, you know, you're grateful for this. You're grateful that you accomplished that. You make a list. Well, maybe not a gratitude journal, but an affirmation yeah. journal because we had Michelle Berger on the show at one time and, and she talked about the power of affirmations and how if you write down uh, these statements like you're talking about, Hannah, of the things that you've done, yeah, uh, you will trick your brain a little bit because your brain is a sinister kind of thing sometimes. The neuroscience behind it is it's going to naturally move uh, to look at, we talked about this, the negative review uh, more closely than the positive review, you know. Uh, you're ne- the negative space you're in more than the positive space that you're in. And so this idea of writing down these affirmations pen to paper um, kind of trains your brain to think, well, wait a minute, no, I've, I've done a lot. I've, I've accomplished a lot of things, more so than I, I even thought I remembered that I accomplished. You know, Right. And so that's a good thing to help you remember. It's funny, though, you talk about uh, <laughs> imposter syndrome as, as a publicist, as a lawyer, I sometimes had imposter syndrome. David Rudolph said, you know, I was interviewing him about this nonfiction book he wrote. He was the one that handled the, the Peterson trial in Durham, you know, the staircase that became the Netflix series. He said, look, yeah, I have imposter syndrome as, a, as an author for sure. I, this is my first book, but I'm still having imposter syndrome as an attorney, you know, <laughs> after all these years. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it goes with every profession, you know, that there's always somebody, there's always somebody in what you're doing, whether it be, your profession, you know, a craft you're trying to do, uh, podcasting, you know, a book you're writing, there's always somebody that you're going to perceive as better than you, right? And then you set this sort of insurmountable uh, hurdle that you got to get to that, and if you don't, you feel less than. I will have to say, though, after y'all talked about the fact that Mary Shelley, F. Scott Fitzgerald, they published their books at 18 and 29, I'm an old fart at 50-something, you know, when I'm publishing my first book here, right? So I should feel really bad about no. myself, right? <laughs> On the other hand, no. <laughs> on the other hand, as that song went, that old country music song, on the other hand, uh, there's a golden band. That was what, uh, who was that? Randy Travis, yeah, who was born right up here in uh, Marshville, by the way. This is a definite aside, folks. I'm sorry about this. But the point here is that uh, I should not feel bad. I should feel good about the fact that I got it done in my 50s and uh, rather having not done it at all, right? They can put on my tombstone, he tried. He tried really hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so I think it's just, um, we're going to get to some of the suggestions Sarah has in a minute, but Sarah, uh, talk a little bit about uh, the space you found yourself in when you were writing this first part of the essay and maybe some of the triggers that you have that kind of get you going in this regard before you start working on the solutions yeah I mean I think honestly for me it's it's like a a constant up and down as a writer and I think other writers sometimes feel this way too it's even if I don't have anything necessarily bad that happens in my writing life even if I don't you know get 
rejected by a journal or get really negative feedback or anything like that. It's just, it's so easy to question and doubt what you're working on. And even just reading back on my, on my own work that I'll, I'll be, you know, in the middle of a draft on something, I'll read it back and I'll be like, this is terrible. <laughs> you know, cause you start out with this idea of this is what I want to write and it's going to be amazing. And you kind of see the, the fuzzy golden big picture and then you start writing it. And of course, especially in the early drafts, it's nothing like that. Um, so I think it's just really easy with something as subjective as writing and as creative as that to, to doubt yourself. Um, but I, I really like some of the ideas that you've already been talking about. I know we'll get more into kind of ways to address it, but the idea of um, kind of writing down or just mentally going through what you've accomplished is really good. And even just in life outside of writing, I think that's a positive thing. I know sometimes I'll have days where I get to the end of the day and I feel like I was busy all day today, but I didn't really do anything. <laughs> I think I haven't accomplished anything. And then I have to, to make myself go back and start thinking through and think, okay, well, I did this, I did that. And if I include all the little stuff, even like I did the dishes, I answered these emails, um, stuff like that, that wasn't something huge that I would normally celebrate, but that needed to get done. Just reminding myself of what I've actually accomplished in a day makes me feel a lot better about it. And you can do the same thing with your writing too. You know, maybe keep copies of reviews that you liked, um, that you thought were positive of your work or notes that you got that were really positive. Or um, if there's an award you want or something like that, like keep track of those things, maybe in a folder. um, And then you can look back at those when you're not feeling so great about your abilities and you need that little bit of a boost. (laughs) Sometimes that helps. But I think also like you don't want to rely too much on outside sources for validation. You need to find it from within too. So um, writing things that you are drawn to and that you feel passionate about at the end of the day, I think you're going to be more positive about your writing overall if you're writing stories that you really love. So Hannah, did that spur anything further from you before we jump into some of the solutions? Yeah, well, I was just thinking like, and I, it's gotten even, you know, since having Gwen, um, like there's some days where I'm like, I did nothing today. I just sat here and like stared at my kid and waited for her to be upset about, <laughs> something. you know, just things like that. But I mean, realistically speaking, I mean, I do a lot though, cause it's just like you're, and I've, I've thought about that many times where I'm just like, I need to start just getting back into like writing down even my notes app or something like I was able to do all of the laundry today and put it all away. And then I fed my baby like 15 times, you know, just things like that. That's a job, right? It's like, I mean, come on. Yeah. It's in, I have to, but for me, I have to, um, I think it bleeds into a lot of areas of life where you're just like, Oh my gosh, I need to feel good about the fact that I was able to go on a walk today and move my body a little bit and like do the dishes with a screaming baby, you know, it's just things like that. Like where it's learning how to multitask more than I've ever done in my entire life. <laughs> like, you know, just things like that. So I think, um, you're right, Sarah. I mean, and even before, like my whole uh, something in the last couple of years, something I've tried to put into practice is that just kind of the, even the days where I've just sort of like made it through my inbox, uh, like totally and completely, which feels like it never really happens. But if it does, you know, it's just things like that where you just have a day where you at least acknowledge the fact that you can do those things because they all add up. Um, and I think another thing about like looking into, if you kind of tying it back into the writing, I love the examples of the great Gatsby and where you look at that as like a classic that's been, you know, sold million. I mean, it's on all of the reading lists for any like middle school 
kids to college kids, you know, just it's all over the place. But it there's a ton of haters of the great Gatsby, right? It's just like I mean, it's just it's such a I don't know, it's a multi dimensional thing. But I think, yeah, I like the solutions as far as just sort of like I don't know. Take take the little things mm-hmm. and sort of build that up. I think that's great. Yeah, you have the uh the subjectivity that Sarah mentioned, you've got the uh financial factor you've even got as Sarah mentioned her characters are annoying her about uh, not even writing about them lately and need to do something else with them so let's get into uh, some of Sarah's uh, recommendations here here are some ways that I think writers can beat imposter syndrome or at least put that critical voice in its place a little bit first you can embrace the good side of imposter syndrome a reasonable dose of fear and self-doubt may push you to work harder I, like many people, sometimes perform better when I'm just nervous enough to be a little more switched on. Humility keeps you from getting complacent and encourages you to strive. After all, if you think you're already at the top, what incentive do you have to climb higher? You just need to balance a healthy level of fear and doubt with enough confidence to believe that a higher level is possible for you. Also, focus on what you can control and let the rest go. This is applicable to so many things in life that I treat it as a personal mantra, but for writers specifically, it's key because there's relatively little that's in your hands as a writer. You can't control how other people are going to respond to your work or how smart or naturally talented you are or what the marketplace wants today, what it might want in the future. Even the act of writing itself is dependent on forces outside the writer's control in a way that many other tasks aren't. Like, I can make myself mow the lawn or do my taxes or answer emails or upload this blog post to my website but I can't make myself write in the sense that I can't make myself have ideas or figure out how to make a character more interesting or create a brilliant plot twist or generate a certain number of words per hour. No one can force inspiration. The things that I can do, I can sit at my desk and put in the time to write. I can read, ask other writers for feedback, listen to others talk about writing and learn from their ideas, give myself mental space for creative, unorganized thinking, surround myself with media and environments that encourage inspiration. When that inner voice asks, what if people don't like this? Remind it that there's no point in asking that question because there's nothing you can do about it anyway. Lastly, remember that you're already qualified to write what you're writing because only you can write your story in your voice. Star Wars and Spaceballs are similar movies. They're interplanetary adventures with daring heroes, princesses in peril, and fantastical creatures, but they are radically different in execution because George Lucas and Mel Brooks have different minds. New ideas will always come and craft can always be honed, but the great inimitable treasure that each writer offers is his or her unique perspective on the world and way of processing that into words. Resist the temptation to compare yourself to other writers or to let setbacks define your vision of your creativity. You have a story in you that has never been told before, so don't be afraid to sell it. The best way to not feel like an imposter? Just be yourself. All right, great advice. And as I'm listening to uh, that, Sarah, I'm, all, I'm and thinking about Hannah's current stage of life, I'm thinking back to Molly Grantham, the WBT reporter who wrote the book, The Juggle is Real. Uh, she had a bunch of kids. She's got a big career. And as she said, the juggle is real. She's juggling about 18 things, you know. I like that. Uh, <laughs> I can picture <laughs> Hannah with the baby in one hand and the the phone in the other and the computer in front of her and the dishes going. Listen, and the, long- the baby carrier is a game changer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I can do like eight uh, things with that thing. <laughs> She's just Oh, sweet. is that the front carrier? You put her yeah. in the front carrier? Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, uh, yeah, let's, so let's talk a little bit about some of these suggestions. Um, I like this. Uh, your thoughts, uh, Hannah, on 
focus on what you can control and uh, let go of the rest. Yeah, I think that's definitely a great thing. Like if you like this, I mean, there's not a whole lot in your life that you can control a lot of the time, but then the things that you can create and creatively, and it kind of ties in with your last point, Sarah, too, just like it's your story and that is you are qualified to write your story because it's yours. So, I mean, that is something you can 100% control. Um, and that's kind of a special thing. And it, I guess that also ties into the first part too, where it's focusing on the positive side of it, like using it for motivation or like communicating with other writers and that kind of thing too. It's just like, that's another thing that you can control um, is how you approach the situation itself. And I think that's kind of a powerful thing to think about. Yeah. Well, you, you this is in your wheelhouse, Hannah, because you, uh, in, in the publicity side of things, you're, you're, I've said you've got more energy than most people should, should have, you know? And so you're always very positive about things. And I just think that, you know, that level of positivity can overcome a lot of, uh, imposter syndrome, a lot of self doubt, a lot of criticism. And so, you know, if nothing else, if you can just ramp up the, the amps on the positivity, side of things that might address a lot of this right Hannah? oh yeah i mean seriously it's like it that really is i feel like and i think we've talked about this before um but just like in the publicity world a lot of the time i feel like i'm like a hype man which like and i it, I kind of applying it to myself um that's i have to tell myself okay well if i feel down on what i'm doing i have to be my own hype person which um it's hard to do and it, it's definitely because like I think directly tying into the imposter syndrome, you're like, well, I don't really think I should be hyping myself up right now because I feel bad or I didn't get this result or whatever it is. But it's just like, no, I mean, the same thing with everything. The positivity aspect of it really can change everything, like your approach to yourself and your work. And like, you know, even if you have, you know, you've gotten feedback from one person that day on the impact of your story, it's kind of just like, well, that's pretty amazing. You know, like that's kind of a gift in itself because not everyone's job or anything like has that kind of feedback where you get to say, okay, well, something I wrote touched somebody else or whatever it might be. But like, I don't know. It's all how you look at things with everything, I think, in life. It really is. Yeah. And and I think, and we're going to pull Sarah back in a second here, but I think Another thing that she said here, which I really love, is that a reasonable dose of fear and self-doubt is a good thing. It's always it's always nice to be a little nervous before the big contest when I was playing sports. You know, mm-hmm. if I wasn't nervous, I didn't have that, you know, sort of level of energy to kind of get after it. And I think, you, you know, you got to have those, uh, we used to call them butterflies, right? You yeah. have a few butterflies, maybe before you sit down or before you go to make that presentation or whatever. Uh, and, and don't think that you're, you know, uh, bees knees or whatever they used to say that phrase or whatever but you know that you are uh you got to step up you got to do it and and i think uh that, that kind of that'll close out some of the noise maybe that's in your head because i've always said that and you know i've gone through different times where i was depressed and different points of my life and i've always said that if you do that i mean do things <clears throat> your mind quiets you know so i'd go build a deck or i'd go run or i'd go walk or i'd go write a story that I didn't know where it was going to go, but I would do something and it would get me out of that other headspace, you know? So maybe, maybe part of the solution here is when you're feeling like an imposter in the writing world, for example, um, well, hell go write, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, 
and you never know what might turn up. One thing that I just want to mention to you, one of the mantras that I kind of have for myself that like, honestly, for the past, like since I was early high school, I don't know where I heard this or where I read it, but there was a phrase that I just really like that I always kind of repeat to myself when I'm feeling like that. And it's, why are you nervous? You're going to do it anyway. <laughs> like, because yeah. I mean, I'm going to do this thing. It's like, whether it's a speaking right. th- with speaking, I surprisingly, I don't, I mean, it really makes me nervous before I do like any kind of public speaking. Um, and once I get up there, I'm kind of jiving with it, which is fine. But um, ahead of time, I'm always like, <laughs> like choking up. I'm like, I don't know what to do right now. This is terrible. But I always kind of say that to my, myself. I'm like, why are you nervous? You're going to do this anyway. Um, that kind of makes me feel right. like more calm about it. I don't know if that can help someone else. But for me, it's just like, you know, use the nerves for well, good, kind of like you were saying. You know, I'm remembering things when I go back and pull all these quotes. And Elliot Parker said, who was on the podcast one time, he said his grandfather had great advice about him when he was really nervous about doing something. He said, hey, what's the worst that can happen? They can't eat you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess <laughs> unless you're on a desert island with a bunch of cannibals, I suppose. But, uh, you know, in real life, hey, what's, they can't yeah, eat you. You know, what? exactly. <laughs> I mean. So why not do it? All right, so Sarah, let's bring you back in and, and get your final thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, I love what both of you all have been saying. I think that idea of like, why are you nervous? You're going to do it anyway. I'm going to be remembering that and saying that to yeah. myself for sure. Um, and what, what Landis was saying too about just do things, I think is another thing that's so helpful in life in general. Um, I've heard people talk about it like kind of act yourself into the way that you want to think. Like if you want to feel like you're a successful writer and a good writer, then act like that, even if you don't feel that way today. Like put in the work, do, you know, do the writing, put in the time. Um, put your stuff out there and, and show it to people like you're proud of it, even if you're not. <laughs> um, and as you do that, you'll probably both actually um, make yourself a better writer and improve your skills over time and just kind of get yourself into the feeling of being more confident about your work and more used to putting yourself out there. Um, so sometimes you have to kind of fake it till you make it, I guess is another way of saying that. Um, and another thing that I think is so helpful for imposter syndrome or any sort of kind of negative experiences as a writer is what we're doing right now, which is just talking about it with other people and other writers. I think we've we've come to these um, sorts of topics a lot of times on the show as we've had different writers on here in their interviews or in their blog posts. Everyone has experiences with rejection and self-doubt. Imposter syndrome seems like it's a thing that a lot of writers experience. So just talking to people and, and realizing that's normal and that it's not just you, <laughs> I think is really helpful. Um, and just making sure that you have a kind of support system and network of writers who you can um, talk to and build that community with. It just it makes it so much easier and makes the whole thing so much more enriching, I think. Yeah, no, it's great. And we really appreciate uh, the post and uh, that gave us this. Uh, great foundation yeah, thanks uh, for, for this discussion. It. Discussion, and uh, we uh, before we leave this discussion, uh, we've got a uh, a blog post uh, that came to us from Marianne Springer's. Uh, as soon as we come back, uh, we're gonna Sarah, if you don't mind introducing her, and then we're gonna play her little. It's a really fun letter that she wrote to her inner critic, and I think you're gonna enjoy this. If you like what we're doing and would like to help us defray the costs of this podcast, please consider becoming one of our patrons through the Patreon website. For as little as $5 a month, say a coffee or a happy hour drink, you can help us out. And in return, we have a library of exclusive episodes, over 120, that you can access through the Patreon website. 
just go to patreon.com forward slash charlotte mirrors podcast and join up you can cancel any time by the way and we thank you in advance for whatever you decide to contribute all right we're back and uh we have a, a blog post from uh marianne sprangers uh she uh she wrote a letter to her inner critic. She also talks a little bit about the inner critic in a blog post. You can find this at our community blog at charlerspodcast.com. And if you writers out there, don't forget uh, that you can submit to that and get featured on the podcast. And we've really had an uptick in those in the fall here. We're really pleased with all the participation and it's really added to these episodes. So keep submitting those uh, to us. And uh, Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about Marianne? Yeah, so Marianne Sprangers was born in Wisconsin's Utter Territory, as she calls it, <laughs> where beer cheese soup is a real thing. Free-range and creative, she excelled in pastimes such as shivering and being cold. <laughs> she says she's earned a couple of unrelated degrees and been consistent in holding a day job while spending after-hours work pursuing her dreams of not being cold, making art, and writing. She recently relocated to North Carolina, and here she thought enough to let her pen hit the paper and began an earnest pursuit of actually writing versus just talking about doing it. I think a lot of writers are very good at talking about writing. <laughs> I can relate to that. Um, she has a, a great book title. She's the author of Cheesecake Loves My Thighs, which explores dating through trial and error, understanding through baking metaphors, and finds comfort in the form of cheesecake. Um, it has 28 humorous essays accompanied by 28 original and tested recipes, which explore the universal truths and challenges of dating and how indulging in cheesecake makes it all better. Stories such as Cheesecake Loves My Thighs, Cheesecake Doesn't Have to Be Baked to Be a Hit at a Party, and Cheesecake is Never Done in Just Five Minutes. <laughs> so <laughs> she's got some really um, fun stories in there. And I think she also did her uh, elevator pitch on a recent episode, too. So you can hear a little summation of her, her book there. Um, but yeah, her, her post is a lot of fun as well. Yeah, that's great. And I've read uh, a number of these essays are really good. And um, we're not going to play the whole blog post, at least the introduction we're not going to play because uh, she says a lot of things similar to what we talked about earlier. But she does talk about the fact that in 2002, New York Times opinion column uh, writer Joseph Epstein quoted some survey that stated 81% of people want to write a book. Consequently, uh, only about 3% of people actually go out and do it. Um, and she said in her own experience writing a book, she boasted for years that she was going to do that. Uh, it's been 30 years. She promised herself someday it would happen. Uh, but, uh, you know, it sort of never did. And she blames in part, uh, this inner critic, but, uh, she has, uh, she has done it. She's got a published book now and we've got her letter to her inner critic. So, uh, let's listen in. This is, this is fun. Dear Inner Critic, as one of my longest running employees, you've also been one of the most expensive, costing me time, experience, and opportunity. You were brought on as a motivational influence to Tony Robbins the heck out of my creative endeavors. But you gathered your sidekicks, procrastination, and distraction instead, and Tony robbed me of stepping into my most vibrant capacity. The three of you focused on the menial. Who knew that my closet of thrift store finds could be categorized by season, color, and, in some strange alphabetical order, all in the name of not writing or making art? Every time I sat myself down for my creativity time, you found weeds in my sidewalk, dust bunnies under the sofa, and smudges on the windows. Enough already. This is not what you were hired to do. The impact of your toxicity has left a trail of blank pages and unused ink pens, surrounded by ideas that have been wadded up and strewn across the room in frustration. 
You made a mess out of my workspace. Also, your name-calling days are done. I'm not the fraud, the imposter, the mediocre mind behind the dull scripts. You are. I am not inadequate, not not enough, and definitely not putting up with this subjugation any longer. I boxed up your megaphone of criticism, your air horn of judgment, and your whoopee cushion of shame. You will find your box tied with the ribbon of comparative value curbside. You are fired. You're fired for disrupting the workflow, slowing productivity, and spreading water cooler gossip about my perceived failures, my supposed ridiculously amateur writing skills, and other insubordinate lies. A cleaning crew is coming to magic eraser the writing you said was on the wall, but that you neglected to say you put there yourself. Security will show you out. Your badge has been disabled. You are not welcome back to the office. With utmost seriousness, the boss and published author, Marianne Sprangers. <laughs> She's funny. <laughs> all right. So should we all just write a letter to our inner critic? What do you think? I want her to write a letter to my inner critic. I think she'd be better at it than I am. The boss. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. The boss. Yeah. No, I think it's, uh, we talked earlier about uh, writing things down in terms of affirmations, but this is like getting after it. You know, we're going to write directly to the source of the problem. We're going to name it. Uh, we're going to go after it and we're going to tell them what's what and they're fired. Right. You, we no longer need you. If we want feedback, we'll get it from somebody we trust. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we don't trust you, Mr. Inner Critic. No. Uh, so what do you think, Hannah? You get get your megaphone out and write uh, write a letter? You get you, you don't have time to write letters, I know. How about an audio? Yeah, I'll do maybe? a voice note <laughs> to myself and just be like, shut up. A voice note to yourself. Yeah. That's a good idea. We, we, can, we can live yeah, with that. I like it. Um, but no, I think it's nice the way she uh, sort of metaphorically tore down um, – you know, the inner critic and, uh, and also pointed out some of the things that the inner critic, you know, would did I, the phrase name calling. Well, that's what the inner critic does, right? Calls you names. Well, you know, yeah, I'm not inadequate. I'm not what you say I am. And, uh, you know, what you said is getting erased from the wall and we're moving on. So, but, uh, security will show you out. Your badge has been disabled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're no longer welcome at the office. I like that's it. great. Uh, yeah. I love how she called out to the um, the sidekicks of the inner critic procrastination and distraction because I right. think that's so true for writers is that even if you're not necessarily like an unproductive or a lazy person like you might be procrastinating by as she was saying you know doing housework or organizing your stuff or doing other productive things but sometimes writing is the hardest thing to get around to and it, it is because you have that inner critic in your head that's making you doubt your ideas or making you doubt if you have the ability to see them through. Um, and it's so easy to be like, Oh, let me just do this other thing instead. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you just have to kind of tackle it head on. Um, and I love how she's, she's doing that here. All right. Well, before we jump in act two, uh, point of privilege here is not as privileged in the normal sense, but privilege that I have to control the mic. Uh, Mark West has written a story Charlotte blog post this week on rejecting anti-Semitism, and that's uh, important to me, and I commend it to you. You should go to Story Charlotte blog uh, and read that. But uh, you know, he talks about uh, his own uh, ancestors and um, you know so forth, and he's appalled at the recent uh, anti-Semitic rhetoric and actions, uh, as am I. And he reaches out to Judy Goldman to talk a little bit about uh, 
her writing, um, and uh, he, he calls out the fact that uh, one of Charlotte's uh, greatest writers was a Jewish writer named Harry Golden. Anyway, I, I commend that to you, you know, in this in this holiday season. This comes out uh, December 27th, but, uh, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of religions out there that think uh, that uh, they own the universe, and uh, um, you know you don't. Um, it's uh, you know this is a whole big wide world, and we should be inclusive of uh, everyone and respect uh, everyone's views and uh, thoughts. So, thank you, Hannah and Sarah, for letting me jump in and do that. We are going to jump now to uh, Charlotte Litt's two-minute tip. Learning to Write Scenes by Paul Reale. Uh And uh, this is something we do every week uh, when we put out an episode, and we're going we're gonna to play the, the tip, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Hi, I'm Paul Reale from Charlotte Lit with a two-minute writing tip for Charlotte Readers Podcast. As I record this, I'm about to begin working with Charlotte Lit's seventh Authors Lab cohort. In Authors Lab, we help writers complete a first draft or rewrite of a novel or memoir. Part of the program is a sequence of 12 craft classes, each covering an essential skill. We are often asked, which of these skills is the most important? That question is about as fraught as, which is your favorite child? Is it dialogue, point of view, interiority? But while there isn't one skill that's more important than the others, one skill seems to be overlooked, or maybe it's taken for granted. And that's learning to write scenes. Scenes are building blocks. Most stories are a sequence of scenes. A good target for a book-length work is 40 scenes, which means if you can write a scene and you can keep going, you can write a novel or memoir. If you can write a good scene, you can write a good novel or memoir. Writing scenes, of course, requires that you have other skills, effective dialogue, showing and telling, characterization, and so on. But in order to put those tools to good use, you need to know what makes a scene work. The most important thing to know about scenes is that something has to happen. A character sitting and thinking is not a very good scene. Characters have to bump up against someone or something. Every scene should A. Move the plot forward, B. Reveal character or relationships, or C. Both. Something must be different by the end of the scene. Facts are concealed or revealed. Relationships have deepened or divided. Problems have been created or resolved. The biggest issue we run into as teachers and editors is boring scenes. Don't be boring. Make your scenes active participants in your storytelling. Remember, if you can write a good scene, you can write a good novel or memoir. Now, here's your action step. In whatever you're writing, Cast a critical eye on your scenes. Does something happen? Is something changed by the end? For more two-minute tips from Charlotte Litt, listen to Beyond 300 episodes of this podcast or visit charlottelitt.org slash tips. All right, as always, we uh, end up with a lot to unpack here. Um, uh, Sarah, what are your thoughts? 
Um, well, I think this is a, a great topic to talk about, and it's certainly one that's close to my heart as a screenwriter, because we tend to think in terms of scenes. I know it, it's interesting for me when I talk to other novelists, because they often outline or think of their book in terms of chapters, um, whereas I always think in terms of scenes, and then I just kind of throw the chapter divisions in later. I mean, I, you know, I think about it a little bit more than that. <laughs> I don't just throw them in there, but um, I think much more in terms of scenes. And yeah, I think what Paul said about something has to happen in the scene is really important. Something has to change. And I like to think of it as not just something changing in the story or in the characters, even if it's something really small, um, but also kind of a, a change in the energy or the polarity of the scene. Like you might start on a more negative note and end on a more positive one or vice versa. Um, maybe you have two characters who are getting along are on the same page at the beginning of the scene, but then some kind of argument happens and there there's a rift by the end of it. Or maybe you have two characters who are kind of adversarial at the beginning, but there is some kind of a spark and chemistry starts and you see by the end of that scene, like, oh, maybe they, they might end up liking each other. Or maybe a character um, starting out the scene is things are going pretty well for him, but then there's some kind of a challenge that's thrown in the way and you see that the story is building towards a, a, a more more obstacles building for the character or maybe things are, are really tense at the beginning of the scene but then the character overcomes something and she's had like a victory as the scene happens so I think that it's important to think in terms of like has the feeling of the story changed from the beginning to the end of the scene does the reader feel differently by the end of it um and so yeah that, that's a really important way to kind of keep the story moving forward and keep that momentum going I think yeah now Hannah, you as a voracious reader, of course, before the baby came along, you know, you read a lot. And we had some conversation at some point about at what point in a book, if it's not moving for you, mm-hmm. are you saying, yep, that's enough? You know, we talked about 50 pages or 30 pages. Or but as you read, Hannah, and you start reading a book and you're in your so what are the kind of things that uh, make you stand up and take notice or the kind of things that... Uh, that might bore you in, in <laughs> along the lines of this discussion. Yeah, well, I know I've talked about this before, but it's like, you know, I'm going to keep throwing Donna Tart under the bus, bus here, but, like, sometimes if it's too wordy or there's too much, like, kind of external um, or just kind of, I don't know, writing in circles is almost what it feels like to me sometimes when I'm reading something. So I'm just like, all right, so I need to kind of get to the point here. That's, that's sort of the, my style of reading. Um, and so I think... For me and it's you know I think it's interesting too what you're saying Sarah about like thinking about your writing in scenes like I, I feel like that's a really effective way to write actually for a reader um, because you sort sort of just like it's easier to move through writing like a, a book that's written that way I think I can kind of tell when when writers are thinking of it like okay let's get from A to B here like what do I want this to versus like kind of thinking about it in chapters like that. Um, I think looking at it like with scenes um, kind of makes things move a little bit quicker and get to the point a little bit faster. For me, if it's if it's too, ma- too many words or it's kind of moving around a point too much, I feel like I can always sort of feel that energy. Um, I would much rather read something where it's, I feel like, let's just say a chapter is, like short chapters to me are like, the best because it feels like scenes like that like okay this is something that happened um at the end of this chapter i found out something different about this character that really changes the dynamic of the relationship or changes where the story is going i kind of i really enjoy that and 
I, I mean, you know, my one of my favorite writers is Wally Lamb, and he writes really long books. Like, they're all very long, like 600 to 1,000 pages. You know, something, they're, they're long. But he's really good at writing scenes. So it's like quick scenes in the, in the midst of these longer books. And it's like, it really carries, it doesn't feel like you're reading a book that, that's that long. Whereas if I'm reading The Goldfinch, it feels like I'm reading a book that long. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just like, <laughs> ah. <laughs> Uh, these, those are both uh, good points, and I, I would say one of the things I haven't mentioned is the connectedness between scenes. Sometimes, you know, I'll be reading a book and it'll be a nice scene, and then the next scene has you've lost mm-hmm. the thread somehow. You know, between the first scene and the second scene. I love books that will leave a cliffhanger, but then don't leave you waiting too long. Mm-hmm. You know, before you jump right into you know what's going to happen, that'll get you turning the pages. And 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 I think you know there, you can go through all these rules about. How to write a scene, you can talk about dialogue, you can talk about white space on the page, you can talk about, you know, um, whether you use too much prose or too much description or whatever. But but the bottom line rule, I think, is what, what was mentioned here. Um, don't be boring. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the end result. If, if you're not, you know, if you're boring, they're going to stop and it's not going to be a good scene. And so think about the kind of things that, make your scene not boring. If it's not exciting enough, make it more exciting. If the twist is not twisty enough, twist it even harder. Um, if the character is giving a speech that takes up the whole page, cut it about 90% of it and have some more snappy dialogue in there. Um, you know, but, but make it interesting. Make it, you know, particularly early in the book, make sure you pull people in with those scenes. So, I mean, I, I think if you just boil it down to, don't make it boring, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting, probably the yeah. number one rule of writing. If, if you can pick one, I would say that's it. Don't be boring. <laughs> yeah, don't be boring, yeah. Or or I guess if we flip that on his head, uh, be exciting or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, All right, we're going to have a quick uh, word here about how you can submit and be on the podcast, and then we're coming back to, to tackle uh, this blog post uh, that was based on Something I read on the internet, uh, but first this. If you are an author who would like to be featured on the show, check out our submission process on the contact page of charlottereaderspodcast.com. Please understand that given the number of submissions we receive, we can't respond to every submission or feature everyone who submits, but with the Beyond 300 format, we are featuring more authors in many different ways. You might be interviewed or provide us some audio content for us to play or participate in an author or marketing talk or get a shout out for your publication. One way to be sure to get a mention on the show is to submit a 750 word or less blog post or community blog on a writing or marketing topic. If it's accepted, we may have you on to discuss the content. Just go to charlottereaderspodcast.com and look for the community blog for details. All right, so... um... We've got a blog post here. It's called Coming to Terms with Reality. The Universe Doesn't Care About Your Book As Much As You Do, and That's Okay. So uh, we'll play the first part here, and we'll talk a little bit, uh, then we'll come back with some thoughts about solutions. It takes courage to put a book in the world, but even more bravery to promote it. And then when you schedule an event and just a few people show up, it takes some real daring do to stand up and talk about your book with vigor. Why? Because you want the world to love your book, and it can be embarrassing to throw a party that few people attend. You know, but fear not. Those empty room book signings have been happening to the best. Uh, John Grisham 
had a truck full of books left over after his first novel's book tour. Uh, thankfully, he laughed about it and kept writing, and now I would suspect that his events are standing room only. Promoting and selling books is difficult. There will be good days and bad days, but probably more bad days than good. And it may take years and years to make a decent profit if that is the goal. Uh, but bottom line, we authors need a reality check so we can enjoy the ride. We authors must come to terms with the fact that the world is filled with millions and millions of damn good books. Just walk into any library or bookstore and look around. What do you see? As a reader, you see a delicious world of discovery, a lovely, sometimes never-ending display of exciting books. As an author, yeah, you see that too, but also you see shelves and shelves and shelves of stiff competition by accomplished writers. You know, it can feel a bit overwhelming. An author named Johnny Truant has carved out a small corner of the indie publishing world for himself. But what he's infamous for is his 14-page manifesto entitled The Universe Doesn't Give a Flying F... Dash, dash, dash about You. This unsolicited piece of advice by Johnny Truant is available free on Amazon Kindle. Just Google it. You can probably guess Johnny's sermon by the title alone. It's not advice necessarily for authors per se, but him being an author, it, uh, it is good advice, uh, and it's perfect for authors too. Here's the truth. The universe Johnny talks about, the same one we authors reside in, is full of books much more fabulous than our own. And as one of my childhood friends once said, that's a fact, Jack. <laughs> All right, so I really had, I've just kind of, just, that's kind of a cliffhanger, right? So, uh, you know, we'll talk more about uh, Johnny Truman and, and the universe does give us a flying F about you. Uh, but uh, thoughts from uh, the two of you about this uh, missive? Yeah, well, I think you're right. I mean, there there is so much um, talk these days about like, you know, asking the universe for things and, and whether, you know, how, however you approach that, I think can be helpful, but you also have to be proactive and kind of make your own way. And as a writer, you have to kind of work for your own success and also recognize that it's not personal just because like you were saying, maybe you, you have a, a book event and not many people show up or no one shows up. That happens to a lot of people. I've, I've gone to events for authors who were New York Times bestsellers and I was like the only person who showed up. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not a good writer or that people won't buy your book. Um, it's just kind of the nature of the beast. It's very up and down. So try not to take all the, the good parts and the bad parts too personally, I think. Well, kind of, I feel like it actually takes off some of the pressure <laughs> for yourself. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, the universe doesn't give, give a flying F about you, right? It's just like, okay, well, damn. <laughs> like, but it also <laughs> makes it a little bit easier to just do what you need to do, I think, in terms of writing for yourself. Um, and I forget, I think it was... Um, yeah, it was, it was Liz Gilbert in Big Magic. I think she had a part in there that was like, you know, you get uh, a couple hours of productive writing time. Like, who is that for? Is it for you or is it for somebody else? And I think you have to do, um, you have to write for you and you have to write the story that you want to write. And um, in a way, it's, it's like, you're right. Like, Sarah, everyone, there's so many events even that are not book events that you'd think would be these things, like big like here in Charleston, there's so many events that are happening all the time for creatives or also just like restaurant openings, things like that, where you think people will sh definitely show up. 
they don't because if it doesn't fit their schedule or if it's not about them it's like it's hard to get people to come out and that really does it's just it isn't personal and it is kind of just like you have to kind of separate yourself from that experience and just keep moving forward yeah and and i didn't have a great breaking point in the article for to like we did with sarah's which are the problem and then the solution so i'm going to play the next piece here which gets in a little more of the humanistic side of this problem and and where we end up once we authors realize that our books are a minuscule affair in the overall affairs of the book universe it makes walking into a library or bookstore and seeing all the books on the shelves the ones the librarians and booksellers felt should be there long before yours easier to experience and frankly more enjoyable and it makes the book signing you planned the one where 50 people said they were coming but fewer than five showed up more explainable now, you might ask, you know, what does that mean exactly? Well, meaning there are too many cool things going on in the universe for the universe to care about your book. I know what you're thinking. You're, you're thinking, well, I'm not a slacker. You're thinking that this universal fact of indifference, it only applies to slackers. You know, the authors who write first drafts and put them up on the Internet without an editor's eye and then expect to become famous. Not true. This universal fact of indifference also applies to the authors who follow the universe's rules for good writing. And because they follow them, I would wager that the indifference is harder to handle when it becomes apparent. Now look, good authors work hard. Uh, we hire and we pay for editorial assistance. We hone and rehone, if that's a word, our, our work. And we read, we study, we plan, and we plan some more. We buy swag to promote our books. We take courses on how to sell our books. We build relationships. We write newsletters and blogs and start podcasts and YouTube channels. We email everyone we know and we advertise to those we don't. And when our book launches, we think the universe should care. Johnny Truen is right. It doesn't. I woke up one night during the launch of my latest novel, Daily Declaration, and couldn't go back to sleep. I had this nagging worry about whether my events would be successful. I mean, what if nobody showed up, I thought, and what if nobody bought or liked my book? And then I remembered Johnny's piece on the universe. I looked it up online and read it that night. It really was the medicine I needed to go back to sleep because it reminded me that I'm a very small cog in the wheel of life and that the universe truly doesn't care if I succeed or not. And this fact should, on one level, be depressing, but if you think about it, it's not. It's just logical. And perhaps even calming. Universal indifference cannot destroy my love of writing. I like to create stories. I like to escape with my characters. I enjoy the challenge of piecing together a novel like the one that I wrote uh, entitled Deadly Decorations. So why should I or any other author want the universe to care about our books? Well, that answer is simple because we're human. It's human nature. We want the world to fall in love with what we've written as much as we think we love it, but we have to face the facts. Our books are not as fabulous as we think or hope they are. Even though we sometimes vaingloriously believe they are written for, quote, all readers, close quote. Instead, our books are a small sliver of words in a universe of trillions and trillions of published words. But, you know, here's the thing. It doesn't matter whether the universe cares about our books. What matters is that we authors care about them and that we have fun promoting and selling them because if we don't show up every day with energy and enthusiasm to pitch our books, why should our readers get excited? And by the way, 
none of this is to say that people won't like or buy our books or that stores won't sell them or that people won't show up for our events. People will do those things, and we authors will sell some books. And you know why? Because, as Johnny says, the universe is a big place. We just have to find the slice that works for us. And if for some reason not enough readers care about your book to suit you, then write another one. <laughs> okay, folks, y'all can, uh, y'all can weigh in now. What do you think? <laughs> well, I think one of the things that you pointed out that is so true and so relevant here is just how competitive writing is. It's like there are so many books out there in the world, and it's cumulative too, you know? So in 2023, all of the books that existed in 2022 are still going to be out there competing with each other. Plus there's going to be a whole new year's worth of books, especially with self-publishing now more and more books than ever being put out into the world. So you're, you're never going to write something that can reach everyone or that everyone is going to love. It's difficult to, to write something that's even a bestseller. So I think what you said is really true that, you know, the universe doesn't necessarily care about your work as a writer, but you have to care about it. You, you first and foremost have to care about the story that you're telling and about the product that you're creating and the work that you put in. Um, and if you can make something that you're passionate about, then what other people think of it, whether they respond to it well and, and they like it, whether they find it and see it and buy it, um, is not that it doesn't matter, but it's much less important. So I, I think that's a really good focus to keep as you kind of navigate that whole world. Yeah, and I think too, just like where where you say you have to find the slice that works for you. Like it's it's all about, and especially for my job too in marketing PR, it's it's about identifying who your audience is, and that's a really long process too. It's like in, for people, there are some you know folks who write their first book at 28, like <laughs> with the great guy, and they just it becomes this international success, and it's this crazy thing. But for the most part, that is like that doesn't happen. Like it takes a long time to kind of hone in on your craft and um, believe in yourself to the point where you have a product that hits the right spa- places for um, a specific audience. And it's also just about finding out where that audience lives. And I think uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a long and grueling process that makes people feel really a lot of different negative emotions. Cause it's just, it's hard. Um, but I think the key to all of that, again, and this sort of goes with this whole episode, what we've been talking about this whole time is just like really loving what you're writing and writing the story that's inside of you and just being authentic to that. And that's really how you get that process started. Yeah, well, I was channeling you a little bit, Hannah, with the, uh, you know, show up with energy and enthusiasm to pitch your books, because that's uh, one of the things you bring to the table. Um, I do think it. uh some of this is a mindset thing because when I woke up that night, my mindset was in the negative zone, right? And I was thinking uh, the negative thoughts and the universe is a big place and people are going to be busy and whatever. But, um, you know, just like Sarah's comment on competition, uh, you need to flip the narrative a little bit. Um, Really, the fact that the universe is a large place is really good. I mean, because there could be half the universe that doesn't like your book, but if the other half does man, you're rocking, (laughs) you know, so you got to find that, uh, that half or third or 10th or whatever that does and and go after them as as you said, on the competition side, we had some writers on the show who I thought defined this well. They talked about the fact that writing as much as we see all the books on the shelves and we see the new books coming out and everything that writers are really not in competition with each other that, uh, because people that love books are going to, I mean, 
romance authors are not in competition with each other. Romance readers will read more books than romance authors can, can write. And if you come to understand that, you understand why basically, you know, car dealers, you know, set up shop next to each other because people need cars, right? Mm -hmm. And so they figure, well, if they come down this road, there are going to be a bunch of options. Well, same thing's true. People need books. You put a lot of authors in the same spot, you might sell some books. You go to a trade show together, sitting next to an author is going to draw more people. It's not going to be like it's a, a competition. So if we flip that narrative a little bit, start thinking about the writing community supporting each other and the fact that even though the universe is a big place and doesn't give a flying F about you, it doesn't matter because you're not trying to sell the whole universe, right? <laughs> I mean, isn't that your advice, Hannah, when we, when we first start talking? When you first start talking with a client is, okay, let's talk about what your book's about, the themes in it, and let's talk about who it's for. And I would wager that sometimes that's a surprise to some of the authors you speak to on the first time that they have to think about who their book is for because they think when they're writing it, they're in the zone that, well, if I love it, maybe everybody will love it, right? Yeah, so, and I think thoughts? as time goes on, like for me, that's like a red flag if I talk to somebody, to an author, and they're telling, I'm like, so who's your target audience? Like, who do you think? Give me five groups of people um, that you think would really enjoy this. And they say, well, I haven't really thought about that. I'm like, well, we shouldn't talk yet because <laughs> like <laughs> that's not my job yet to figure that part out. Like you have to really be thinking about that. I think as soon as like um, you have it in your brain that you're going to publish or if you've been, you know, your publishing house has told you this is the sell by day, like whatever, like you need to know exactly who you're trying to reach um, because that's important. Yeah. And, and it also makes a difference in marketing too, is, is what kind of platform you're going to advertise on yeah, because sure. uh, there's some interesting stats out there about how, um, you, you know, um, I, I saw something that like uh, people over 55 or 60, only about 20% of them have ever, ever been on Instagram, right. you know? So, and then the, the Facebook group is much trends, much older. So if you're doing a young sci-fi book, you probably don't want to be, you know, on Facebook spending your ad mm -hmm. money. So it, it all comes into the same place. Find your people, find who, who might like what you read and, uh, uh, well, okay, well, the universe doesn't care, but it does care. At least a part of it cares. Just just find that yeah. colony within the universe that uh, loves to read your books and and uh, park your spaceship outside them uh, when they're getting out of school and sell a bunch of books. You know, so. <laughs> spaceship, <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, so we're going we're gonna to move to uh, Act 3 here uh, and uh, quick quick message about our newsletter. We have a newsletter called Beyond 300, and we'd love to have you sign up. This is where we share what's coming on the podcast, provide helpful links, and keep you updated on the podcast and the hosts. You can sign up at charlottereaderspodcast.com or the websites of the hosts, leandiswade.com, sararcherwrites.com, or spellboundpublicrelations.com. And by the way, we won't spam you because that takes way too much time. All right, Act 3, final act for today. Folks, we really want to appreciate you and thank you for hanging with us this long. We are going to be working on next year as part of our reflections uh, here. We're, we're going to be working on uh, trimming these episodes down a little bit, uh, but we just love to talk. We love to talk about these things, but we're going to actually get real focused on a process, But uh, and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that. But let me just, I want to share some facts here about the podcast for this past year, 2022, before uh, Hannah and Sarah joined up as co-host uh, uh, in June. We had 25 episodes that featured 25 authors. 
from January through June 21st uh, when we released our 300th episode with an interview with New York Times bestselling author C.J. Box. Uh, we also had 21 episodes on our Patreon channel uh, with 21 authors. We explored a variety of writing topics. And then when I was fortunate enough to get Hannah and Sarah to join up, hey, listen to these facts. Uh, just in the time period from like July until now, uh, 20 episodes on the regular podcast. But in those 20 episodes, we featured 62 authors with interviews and blog posts. So, okay, co-host, take a breath because, yeah, we we did a lot of work. Uh, and we recorded over 31 hours of audio to do that. But, you know, we one of our goals and missions was with the Beyond 300 was to be able to feature more authors on the show. We've been able to do that. Um, one thing's that came with that was much longer episodes at time. And we've got a plan for that uh, in the new year. We're going to be having a lead author uh, feature. We're going to be having uh, a Charlotte tip. We're going to be having a blog post and we're going to have book recommendations and we will watch the clock and try to get it done in around an hour. Um, and we think we can, uh, we just got to put our mind to it and remember, uh, you know, that there's a clock there and we'll make it happen. So we want to, we want to give you plenty of good content, Still want to feature a lot of authors. There's at least a couple of authors a show uh, that are being featured, uh, plus the tip, and we're going to be recommending books. Plus, we'll have elevator pitches at the end of the show, too, so we'll be featuring more authors for those of you that listen in and, and submit your elevator pitches. So, uh, you know, I guess, um, you know, I'm, I'm as far as the podcast goes and reflections, I'm, I'm really excited that uh, – I made it to 300 episodes. Never thought that was possible when I started out. You know, most ep- no, most podcasts fail after 10, before 10 episodes, and uh, I made it to 300, so I feel like that's a big accomplishment. And I'm really happy to have you, Hannah, and you, Sarah, having joined me for the Beyond 300 series. I think we've got a great thing going. Look forward to it. Any reflections from either of you on the podcast? You've been at it for like six months now. You're not going to quit on me, are you? <laughs> I'm done. I'm not. You're not getting rid of me that easily. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I've really been enjoying it and I'm grateful to you, Landis, for bringing us both on here. Um, I know when you've built something from the ground up by yourself and you put as much work into it and as much time as you have into this podcast, it's probably kind of nerve wracking to kind of share your baby with yeah. <laughs> other people. So I appreciate you letting us in. And um, it takes a village to raise a podcast. You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, but I've I've really been enjoying it. I've read authors who I otherwise wouldn't read, um, and it's so cool to be able to read a book and enjoy it, and then actually get to talk to the author and be like, "Hey, so how did you write this? Yeah. You know, and what was your inspiration, and what was the research you did, and all that stuff." So it's it's a really fun opportunity. Yeah, I think for me too. And Hannah, you've been involved for a while on the publicity side of the podcast, but now yeah. you're you're on the mic. So that's what, what do you I was going to say. It's just like it's really kind of a neat experience for me because um, just going from being behind the scenes and like kind of helping with some of the branding and just like promoting the show for a long time and then kind of coming into the forefront has been a neat experience for me and just kind of like it helps me to to understand just from a marketing perspective like all that you do, Landis. I mean, geez, you're you're kind of like father podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like i mean you yeah. know seriously the pod father. yes the pod father oh my god that's a good one i oh like gosh, that okay that. that could be book two in the podcast murders right yeah, we'll yeah po- exactly the pod father into the so script there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um but yeah no it's like a really it's it's really neat and i think i've learned so much too just about like i mean you're right what the kind of work that it does take a village i think to get a podcast up and going and promoting it and just like get the content 
together and just have it being able to feature so many writers um, and their stories on a show. Uh, I mean, it's no wonder we want to keep talking because it's like, how do you just sort of narrow down all of these nuggets of information into an hour? It's hard to do, but it's, um, you know, there's just so much good information that's that I feel like I've been able to digest and uh, learn about just from so many different creative perspectives. It's just been such a neat experience. Well, that's great. I, again, I appreciate you doing it. And thank you listeners um, uh, for, you know, tuning in to listen to uh, what we do here and also all the authors who participate. We've made a lot of friends uh, in the writing community through this and as part of sort of building our writing community that we meet other authors and publicists and that kind of thing. Uh, so it's been a really positive experience. We'll continue doing it. Uh, and, you know, I'd encourage authors out there, if you're looking for things uh, to do, do something crazy. It doesn't have to be start a podcast, but do something to support other writers. And I guarantee you it's going to it's gonna boomerang back for you uh, and make your writing life uh, richer. Um, let's do some personal reflections on the year. Uh, Hannah, you probably hadn't had much going on this year with, uh, you know, a baby and everything, but as you look back on 2022, that's a lot of changes for uh, you. Yeah, right? I mean, that's definitely the biggest. I got to say, like, in terms of accomplishments or anything at all, there's really nothing that compares to having my daughter here with me now. So she's just, like, the, the greatest gift I could ever imagine. I think um, I've learned even so much about myself in the last three months than, I don't even know, <laughs> like, the past decade, maybe. Um, you know, I feel like I've grown a lot. Um, and aside from that, too, my business has grown a, a really good bit over the last several years, and that's always really great. And um, I think, yeah, I've it's it's been a big year for me, really, just on a lot of different fronts. So I'm really I'm excited to see what 2023 has in store. All right, great. And uh, Sarah, you've had some some wins over 2022 in terms of your uh, screenwriting and other things. What are your thoughts looking back? Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, it feels like this year has gone both really slowly and really quickly somehow yeah. at the same time. <laughs> it's kind of hard to even think like, wait, what happened this year and what happened in other years? But yeah, I sold my first feature length script, which is really exciting. And I've been in the development process for that, which is always um, very kind of up and down and unpredictable. But since I've worked on the other end of that process, working in the development side um, a few years ago, I kind of knew what to expect with that. But it's been a great, great learning experience. And um, I've been doing some other writing on the side too, with writing short stories, which I've been kind of experimenting and allowing myself to write different tones and voices and subjects that I normally would. And I've actually really been enjoying that. So I'm, I'm excited about continuing to do that and maybe parrying that into a different kind of tactic for novels in the future. And personally, um, it's been nice to kind of get out and travel more. This is the first year that we've really gone beyond like little local trips since the pandemic. We've done a little bit of traveling to other states and, um, this week, I guess, in a few days, <laughs> we're going to St. Martin. Um, so I'm really excited about getting out of the country again for a little bit. Yeah, it's been it's been a good year. Jealous. How about you, Landis? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's been a momentous year for me. I turned 65, which means I had to learn what this thing called Medicare is all about. And uh, I will tell you, if y'all are about to turn 65 out there, none of my co-hosts are anywhere close to that. But your phone is going to start blowing up because everybody in the universe, <laughs> talking about the universe, is going to want to sell mm -hmm. you some kind of, you know, Medicare-related uh, insurance policy. So just hit silence, find a good broker, make it happen. But uh, yeah, that was it. Uh, and, and as a result, like Sarah said, uh, 
got to travel some this year. I got to go to Pebble Beach and play golf, bucket list thing with my son, and I uh, got to go to Ireland and play golf in Southern Ireland, which was a big fun. I did a little fly fishing this past year, and uh, of course I spent a lot of time and got a lot of laughs uh, with my grandson, Simon, so that's that's been great. And then, of course, uh, I'm, I'm very uh, humbly pleased with uh, Daily Decorations, and thank you, Hannah, for all your help with that. But uh, that's just been a real fun experience for me, a very big learning experience as well. And uh, I'm pleased that, uh, you know, I've still got things scheduled for next year. And, you know, for those of you who liked it, I really appreciate it. And uh, no, I don't have the next book ready to go yet. <laughs> but uh, it will come at some point. we got to get that non- those nonfiction books out first, and then I'll come back to the other. But yeah, no, it's been a real, it's been a real good experience for me this year trying to juggling it. I really was at a point in the spring where I was about to, I was like, this is too much. I can't do all this into a podcast. And I'm really glad that I had the, uh, the thought one day of, I wonder if Hannah and I wonder if Sarah would be interested. And I started to tell myself, nah, they wouldn't be interested. And I'm glad that I didn't let my inner critic, you know, talk me out of emailing and contacting both of y'all and doing that. Cause that's been a lot of fun to have that uh, relationship here. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a big year and um, you know, um, more changes to come. I guess if, if if things aren't changing, uh, things aren't happening. So yeah, looking forward to that. Um, Hey, time for some book recommendations. But before we do that, um, we've got uh, this uh, quick message uh, here on uh, social media. Charlotte Readers Podcast is on social media, and we'd love to have you follow and engage with us. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Charlotte Readers Podcast. Check us out. All right, we're going to do uh, three favorite books of the year. We're going to start with uh, Mark West. Uh, he, uh, he he talks about uh, his aspirations and his book recommendations in the same little piece here, so let's listen in. Hello, this is Mark West with the story Charlotte Blanc. Landis asked me, about our writing aspirations for 2023. Well, my most immediate writing aspiration is to complete work on a book titled Theodore Roosevelt on Books and Reading. This book is a sister volume to my earlier book, Theodore Roosevelt and His Library at Sagamore Hill. Both of these books deal with Theodore Roosevelt's love of reading, his love of books, and about how his reading experiences shaped his life and career. When people find out about my interest in Theodore Roosevelt, they sometimes ask me to recommend a book or two or three about Theodore Roosevelt. I've read many books about Theodore Roosevelt, so it's hard to narrow it down, but there are three books that I think would provide an excellent introduction to Theodore Roosevelt's eventful life. The first is Mornings on Horseback by David McCullough. This book deals with Theodore Roosevelt's childhood, adolescence, and early adulthood. It provides an excellent overview of the formative years in Theodore Roosevelt's life. My second recommendation is The Wilderness Warrior by Douglas Brinkley. This book deals with Theodore Roosevelt's crusade to 
create and preserve our natural wonders, to build our park system, our national parks, and create national forests. Theodore Roosevelt really did more to preserve our wilderness spaces than any other person in the history of the United States. And then my third book that deals with Theodore Roosevelt's final years is called The River of Doubt, Theodore Roosevelt's Darkest Journey. It's written by Candace Millard. This book deals with a trip that Theodore Roosevelt took toward the end of his life down a river that's a tributary to the Amazon. Theodore Roosevelt nearly lost his life during this experience. Taken together, these three books provide an excellent overview of Theodore Roosevelt's eventful life. I wish everyone a happy new year. All right. Once again, thank you, uh, Story Charlotte blog, Mark West, for those recommendations. Uh, now we're going to do the host uh, uh, recommendations, three favorite books from the year. We, we hadn't narrowed it to three. We had, all of us have more than three, but uh, we're going to do uh, three. Uh, Sarah, you want to kick us off? Yeah, so I chose three um, books that I kind of read in different ways and for different reasons this year. Um, one of them was It All Comes Down to This by Teresa Ann Fowler, who is an author I interviewed for the podcast. So you can go back. Um, I think it came out in August, if I'm not mistaken, the episode with that interview. You can hear her talk about that book. Um, and that was my first introduction to her work. I had heard of her before, but I hadn't read her previously. Um, and I've read a couple of her other books since then. I, I really enjoy her writing. She has such a wonderful, very readable, but also literary style um, with some nice humor sprinkled in, especially in this book and, and really engaging, well-rounded characters. Um, and I had a great time talking with her both on the podcast and at a local event here in Charlotte for the Charlotte Writers Club. Um, so I really enjoyed being able to dig into her body of work, which is it's pretty varied too. She does both contemporary and historical literature. So definitely recommend checking out her work. Um, the next book that I want to recommend um, as one of my year-end favorites is Lessons by Ian McEwen, which is one that I listened to as an audiobook with Libro.fm, which is also something that's kind of new to me this year. I hadn't really listened to audiobooks prior to this, um, and I've been getting into it. It's a really nice way to get more reading done, I think. Um, and this one in particular has a wonderful narrator who really adds to the the experience of the book. But it's such a, it's a beautifully written book. Um, it has a huge scope in terms of the time that it covers and the scale of, I think it's about 60 years or so in time that talks about the life of this one particular man, but also goes into a lot of other events in world history that happened over those decades. And it's just a really, really beautiful character story, really well written. And then the last one that I wanted to recommend as my my favorite for the year is A Good Man It's Hard to Find in Other Stories by Flannery O'Connor, um, who obviously was uh, an older author, but I had never read her before. And she's one of those kind of classics who had always been on my list. And people have told me over the years, like, oh, you have to read Flannery O'Connor. You'd love her. And I finally got around to it, and I loved her. <laughs> so I really want to, to put that on my list. That's one of my aspirations for next year, too, is to read more of her work. Um, but she is just, you know, one of the, the all-time geniuses, and I love her her style so much. So um, that's been – it's one of those books that I read it, I think, in the spring or summer. It's been a little bit of time, but I still – almost every day, think back to it at some point. <laughs> so it's really mm -hmm. stuck with me and I can't wait to read more of her work too. 
That's great. Well, Hannah, do you have three pre-baby book recommendations? I know. I was just thinking, I was like, I had written down, I'm like, oh, these are three books I'm going to read, but three favorites. Uh, <laughs> geez, off the top of my head, <laughs> off the cusp. Well, actually, you know, I've had a good reading experience before. I feel like I got to fit in a, a lot of good books before I had my baby, but um, I loved The Children on the Hill by Jennifer McMahon, which, as you guys got to hear, that was my last uh, pre-baby interview that I got to do, and that was so much fun for me. Um, the book itself um you know it's I, I love kind of like mystery horror books with these sort of like multi-layered psychological trauma you know, warped into all of this crazy story that sort of thing and that's exactly what that book was um and I really loved it and then I was able to and I know I was just kind of I always like to make negative comments about Donna Tartt but I love The Secret History <laughs> which was her was before the goldfinch so um you know, but anyway, I loved that book. I thought it was great. It was kind of, um, it was also kind of long, but it really had such a great, uh, multi-layered character study. I felt like it was sort of like culty and uh, sharp edged. I thought it was just kind of a different book that I, I really loved getting to know all of the characters. And that's something I think she does really well is just kind of has these evolving characters throughout her stories. So that was really good. And then Haruki Murakami, I, I got into him earlier this year. And I think I'd mentioned on a previous episode where it's just like I was sort of nervous to dive into his work because it almost sounded like it'd be intimidating and maybe just go over my head a little bit. But he does a really great job of just kind of getting to the point and making these beautiful stories that are um, using less words almost which I think is such a insane talent and so um, that was I read uh, South of the Border West of the Sun and it was just like an amazing experience reading that so I'd, I guess I'd, I'd put those three at the top all right that's great well, I had a hard time picking three books as much as I read and on the podcast but I tried to go back and uh, pick three books from the podcast um uh, and I don't read literary fiction as much, but uh, one of the books, uh, The Cicada Tree by Robert Gwaltney, Southern Gothic, literary fiction. It is a beautiful book, uh, lots of great turns of phrase, and it really tackles some important issues about race. I uh, really enjoyed that. Plus, I got to meet him at the uh, Boone Literary Festival. We had a good conversation up there about the book after having interviewed him for the podcast, so that was fun. Um, and then uh, the the another couple of books here. They're all thrillers. Uh, Fatal Intent by Tammy Uliano. Um, uh, it's a medical thriller. She was a doctor for many years, but uh, she's a writer now, and it's got a lot of great praise for her books, and uh, just a lot of, and she has a female protagonist, uh, um, and a lot of fun uh, to read. And then I have a tie for the third, uh, The Enigma Affair with Charlie Lovett and The 620 Man with David Baldacci. Both those interviews I did in the fall here uh, Enigma Fair is a fast-paced uh, thriller that ties back to the Enigma Code, that machine that broke the uh, the German code and helped uh, you know speed up the end of World War II and a lot of interesting twists and turns there. And The 620 Man is a fast-paced David Baldacci book, which was a lot of fun to read. So, yeah, those are my three, and I uh, could give you more, but, uh, hey, you can't read everything mm -hmm. right now, can you? So uh, we'll, uh, we're going to – oh, by the way, we do elevator pitches, and I know it's late and we're about done, but, uh, you know, we still want to invite you to do those. We've got one from uh, George Trudeau, and we're going to play it now, uh, 30 seconds. Let's see what he has to say. 
If Jesus walked through the streets of Charlotte today, would he be a Democrat or a Republican? Would he like vinegar or tomato-based barbecue? Many people claim Jesus for their particular group, but the Jesus of Jericho cuts through our tribalism. Join in on the dangerous journey to Jericho and find out what lies at the center of a truly just society. No one is left without scars on the road to Jericho, but hopefully there will be someone to bring us bandages. Discover the identity Jesus offers, an identity that frees us from our cycles of brokenness and trauma. Uh, interesting way to pull that in for uh, sort of a nonfiction book take. Uh, that's that's interesting, fun. Thanks, George, for doing that, uh, sharing that elevator pitch. Um, he's got a blog post, too, that uh, he's done that we're going to have in a future episode that uh, we'll play. Um, We've got, uh, in the way of announcements, uh, Charlotte Writers Club, we got one thing from them for their coming year, so let's listen to that before we wrap it up. At the Charlotte Writers Club, we're excited about what's coming in January, the beginning of a new year and a busy month for us. The CWC's nonfiction contest is open for submissions until January 3rd. It's not too late to get your entry in, and you can do that by going to our website, charlottewritersclub.org. Look for the contest tab and send your words our way, up to 4,000 of them. Nancy McCabe, author of seven nonfiction books, including Meeting Sophie, A Memoir of Adoption, and Can This Marriage Be Saved, will judge the entries. And if you don't write nonfiction, we have another opportunity for you. The Elizabeth Simpson Smith Short Story Contest is open now and closes the 2nd of February. Send us a short story up to 4,000 words. Deborah Grant Brennigan, author of Shame the Devil, an historical novel based on the life of Fanny Fern, a 19th century novelist, journalist, and feminist, will judge the entries. Again, to submit, go to our website, charlottewritersclub.org, and look for the contest tab. For our first meeting of 2023, Tuesday, January 17th, we have a very special speaker coming our way with a craft talk you won't want to miss. Yasmin Ango, a first-generation Ghanaian-American whose first novel, Her Name is Night, earned her a nomination for a 2022 Anthony Award for Best First Book and a host of other honors. The story will rock you. Yasmin's heroine, abducted from her village in Ghana as a child, becomes a professional assassin as an adult and sets out to topple a human trafficking ring and avenge her family. And Go's second book, They Come at Night, continues the story. Yasmin's craft talk will be about the space between her first and second book, about the things she learned about writing as her first book moved from typescript to printed page, things that made writing the second book just a little bit easier. How about you? Do you want to make your writing life just a little bit easier? Join us Tuesday, January 17th at the Tivola Senior Center on the street of the same name. The meeting begins at 6.15. All right, thanks to Charlotte Rice School for that. Hannah, you've got no excuse now. They've got several contests that are open. You talked about writing and entering contests, yeah, right? So we'll, we'll, you know, <laughs> slip it in, slip it in. So, uh, and Hannah, before uh, we turn it over to Sarah's melodious voice to tell us what's coming in the next episode, uh, we'll give you the final word on this uh, on this uh, gathering here today. Wow. Well, thank you. I mean, 
what do you want me to this this was very fun i'm super glad to be back and i can't wait to <laughs> kind of dive back into some more great books in the new year i think this is awesome and um i i was excited to come on today and just sort of like feel the creative energy that i always feel with the two of you so i appreciate you kind of roping me into this last episode of the year yeah we're glad to have you back sarah take it away yeah we're, we're super glad to have Hannah back here it's um you had such a fun Aww. energy to the show so it's really nice to have you back in the, the hosting chair and so next time um in january we're going to have a feature with seven authors in a writer support group who will address questions about author platform building how to get honest book reviews techniques they have found helpful in selling books and examples of what they have enjoyed about marketing is going to be an inspirational and instructive kickoff to the new year we're also going to have a short feature about the late Philip Gerard, some reading recommendations, elevator pitches, a two-minute tip from Charlotte Litt, and more. And as Landis mentioned, we're going to be working very hard to keep our episodes to one hour in 2023. We promise. <laughs> we promise. All right. Well, uh, listeners, uh, we want to wish you a happy new year. Uh, and in the meantime, read on and write on. <laughs>